everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. I guess I'm just saying to our listeners that um, you do deserve a place at the table. Don't let people who are criticizing get you down. And sometimes being good at your job, not the best at your job, persistence um, isn't enough. You know, sometimes we need to seek other remedies so that our institutions live up to our ideals. And there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, that is the right thing to do um, so that our institutions do live up to our ideals. That was Maria Ivanovich, former United States ambassador to Ukraine. She spent more than three decades as a diplomat representing America around the world and working to make sure women's voices were heard at every level. I'm Alain Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Maria Ivanovich grew up in a family that had escaped both Nazism and Soviet tyranny. That fact and her long service with the government led her to write her recent best-selling memoir, Lessons from the Edge. Her stint as ambassador to Ukraine from 2016 to 2019 also gives her unique insight into the terrible conflict taking place there now. Listen and learn why Maria Ivanovich is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are speaking today to former diplomat and author of the bestseller, Lessons from the Edge, Maria Ivanovich. Welcome, Ambassador. Well, thank you for having me, Milan. Oh, it's just a delight to have you, and we're honored that you can be with us. You know, the world's eyes are on Ukraine right now, to which you were ambassador for almost three years. How would you assess the situation there today? What do you think is the state of the war? 
And what do Americans not understand about the situation, in your view? So that is an important question, and I wish I had a fabulous answer for you that would sort of erase all doubt and point us to the way forward. But I think the reality is that nobody is exactly sure uh, where we are going and what is what Russia's um, where Russia is going to go next. So I, I I think we're at a very grave moment uh, where. The Russians are continuing to pound uh, the east and the south of Ukraine. I mean, specifically in Mariupol. And I I mean, I know you know this, Milan, um, as a Ukrainian speaker, but um, Mariupol means the city of Marie. And I went to Mariupol, you know, within the first week that I arrived in Ukraine because it was on the front lines. And back then, in a very different circumstance, taking, taking a different kind of a pounding. And I wanted to show the flag and let people know that the U.S. was there for them. And I went to Azov Steel Company um, because that was one of the biggest employers. And uh, we did a number of other things there. And the mayor, Boychenko, um, he said to me, you know, Mariupol, the city of Marie, this is your city. And of course, you know, I'm sure he said that to everybody named Marie, but it stuck with me. And so, you know, it's kind of an emotional reaction for me to see what is happening in Mariupol, not just Mariupol, of course, but across Ukraine. So I think Americans understand this very well, uh, that we are in, even though the East and the South are taking a pounding, um, we are in a little bit of a pause now. We don't quite know what Russia is going to do next. And I hope that in this pause, our security assistance is going to really, you know, ramp up um, all of the things that the Biden administration has announced and get to Ukraine in time to make a difference for what I assume is a coming assault. So I think that we are in a very grave situation right now. And I think it's important to understand that this is a war about Ukraine. Putin and um, those who follow him do have an obsession about Ukraine. They do not understand that Ukraine is a separate people, a separate culture, a separate country. Um, They refer to Ukrainians as, quote, little Russians and believe that Ukraine is a fictional kind of construct of the Soviet Union, which allows them to believe that what they are doing is right in terms of invading Ukraine and trying to bring it back to Mother Russia, either recreating the Soviet Union or the Russian Empire. but. So this is a war about Ukraine, no mistake about it, but it is also a war about something far larger because Putin has already said that he has intentions that go beyond Ukraine in terms of gathering, quote, more Russian lands to the Russian motherland, uh, you know, the Baltic states, perhaps Moldova, perhaps Poland, uh, not exactly clear uh, which ones, but all of them are nervous that they are going to be next. and so. The war that we are seeing now in Ukraine is not the end game, as important as it is. Uh, And so that's why it is important that Ukraine prevail, um, because that would do justice for all Ukrainians, but also it would stop uh, Putin's aggression, uh, this war of choice that he is waging, not just against Ukraine, um, but against um, a broader 
uh, shall we say, uh, geography. The other thing I would say that I think is sometimes hard for us to understand is this is about the international order. If Putin prevails, which I do not believe he will in the end, um, if Putin prevails, um, we will be back into a might makes right kind of a world. And, you know, smaller countries um, will have to um, kind of adjust to that because bigger countries could take a chunk out of their territory or they could tell them what to do. And um, it will be a far more dangerous world. We will be less secure. We will be less prosperous as a result because our partners will be under threat. And frankly, we will be less free. And so I think that's a bigger construct that is um, often kind of hard to understand. Well, thank you for those bigger constructs as well, because in the end, it really is about freedom and independence and a country's territorial integrity. So, so much that we hold dear uh, is what this is about. You know, as we watch the really horrific situation unfold on our television screens, many are asking, what can we do? What can an ordinary American do? Well, I think, um, you know, ordinary, although there are no ordinary Americans, um, but I think what Americans can do is continue to support um, important causes. And I'm happy to give you a list of uh, the ones that I think are doing really good, good work. There are so many groups that are doing good work. Um, I think that uh, Americans can let their uh, representatives in Washington, but also their state representatives know that they understand the stakes here and they are concerned and that, that, that they are hoping that their representatives, their elected representatives representing them are going to do the right thing for Ukraine and, and for the world. And then ultimately, I think we are going to see some Ukrainian refugees come to the United States. Uh, welcome uh, USA is um, going to be sponsoring, uh, not sponsoring, but assisting them. And so if, if American citizens can help with that effort, you know, buying, buying rooms and B&Bs, opening up their own homes, doing whatever is possible and comfortable for them, as we are seeing the people in Poland do now, the people in Bulgaria and um, Moldova, um, even in Hungary, that would be really great. And Welcome USA is already reaching out to Americans to see how hospitable we can be. And we certainly are known for our hospitality. So this is one of those crucial moments when we need to step up to the plate. You know, from your time there, I'm sure there were many, many memorable moments. You just mentioned the first trip you made to Mariupol. I wonder what was the greatest impression on you about your three years there? And previously you served there as well. Well, and um, I was just going to say that. So I was there from 2001 to 2004 as the number two in our embassy. And then I returned in 2016 after, uh, after the 2014 revolution as ambassador. And uh, the reason I came back was the Ukrainian people. That, you know, the spirit of the Ukrainian people, which I now think every American understands, is why I came back, because these are people that are free and that value freedom and that um, are, you know, going to stand up for themselves and, um, you know, transform their country. And I knew 
you know, when I saw the encirclement of Ukraine by Russian forces and Russian troops back in the fall and uh, the early, uh, early winter of 2022, I knew the Ukrainian people would fight back. And I think now every American understands the spirit of the American people. I mean, you know this, Milan, but um, Taras Shevchenko and his, uh, you know, very famous line of fight on and you will prevail. Every Ukrainian schoolchild is brought up on that. And I think we are seeing the results today. It's inspiring. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the interviews that we all hear that are taking place, thanks to brave journalists, just to hear people in the worst of circumstances still believe that they will prevail and right will prevail. So uh, it is inspirational. The unity is particularly inspirational. Let's go back for a moment uh, to talk about you a little bit. Uh, You were in the U.S. Foreign Service for almost 35 years, but you were born in Canada to Russian parents. What was your growing up like? What about your childhood made you the woman you are? And I, I wonder, too, was there a decisive moment when you knew you wanted to be a diplomat? So my parents, um, I mean, part of the reason I wrote the book is that I wanted to honor my parents. My parents were just extraordinary. Um, they had suffered so much uh, growing up in Europe uh, during World War II and all the horrors that that brought. Uh, and they were always grateful that they found uh, refuge first in Canada and then in the United States and that they were able to, you know, say what they want worship as they wanted to and, um, you know, provide a, um, a life of opportunity for me and my brother. Um, they were really grateful for that. And they told us that, you know, we really needed to understand that we were fortunate to live in a country where freedom, you know, is the byword and that we needed to give back um, because that's how you sustain uh, a democracy. And so, you know, that was in the back of my mind. But, you know, in your early 20s, you go through all sorts of things and you take little detours. You're still learning. Um, But I didn't find my way to the Foreign Service until uh, I was 27. And and the the moment that made me realize this is really what I want to do was I was living in New York uh, and I was um, reading the New York Times on the subway to work where I was um, working in advertising and marketing. And um, at that time, we didn't, you know, that was well before, you know, some of the, the wars that we've become more accustomed to in the 90s and um, uh, the, the 2000s. And um, there was an, you know, front page article about the U.S. invades Granada to rescue medical students. And that just seemed odd to me. Uh, surely there was another way. And when I went to uh, work and you know, walked into the office and talked to the designers and uh, the copy editors, they weren't interested in discussing that. They were much more focused on the matter at hand, the particular layout that we were working on. And I realized I was in the wrong business, that this is not what interested me most. What interested me most was foreign policy. And, you know, with a little bit of hubris, how could I make a difference? And um, so, uh, you know, so then I started looking into the Foreign Service and Eventually, I I did join the Foreign Service. And served admirably for more than three decades. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. 
Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Speaking of service, you've served, obviously, both Republican and a Democratic presidents. Every career has difficult moments, and I know that from my time in the State Department. But you had one that prompted you to write your recent book, which we have been alluding to, Lessons from the Edge. It's a remarkable story, uh, your personal story. Tell us what prompted you to write the book. Well, actually... What prompt? I mean, I I can talk about um, obviously the the Trump administration and my departure <laughs> ouster, shall we say, from Ukraine. But what prompted me to write the book was that after I testified in President Trump's former President Trump's first impeachment, um, I got hundreds, if not thousands, of letters from Americans all, all over the country, you know, thanking me for my service and asking me to tell them more, to write a book, because they were curious about the State Department, the Foreign Service, what is it that we do, the challenges, the opportunities. And so, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do at that point, because I knew my, my diplomatic career was over. And I had the opportunity to write this book, and I wanted to make it a book about diplomacy, about the importance of diplomacy to every American because I'm not sure how well that is understood, in part because I don't think the State Department does a very good job of telling our story. And so I hope that through, you know, my stories, my, um, my memoir, 
uh, that it would be an accessible way for people to learn more about the importance of diplomacy to make every American, you know, more secure, more prosperous, and more free. Well, I can understand so many hundreds, perhaps thousands of Americans writing after you were called to testify because you demonstrated such courage and commitment to your country. Uh, And I'm sure they were as curious as my question was about your growing up to know more about you and what made you the committed diplomat that you have been. We've had uh, three women as secretaries of state now and certainly numerous ambassadors. What extra challenges do women face in the diplomatic corps? We have an awful lot of female listeners, and it would be interesting to know if women do indeed confront additional challenges in diplomacy. And then also, why is it so important to have women as diplomats? Well, you know, I think it's important, um, certainly for the United States, if not every country, to, um, for our diplomats to represent America. And so part of that is that, uh, you know, women need to be represented. We're over 50% of the population. We should be represented, frankly, at every level, at that level, in my opinion, because I think that women often bring something a little different to the table. And it's been documented over time that if you have women at the negotiating table for peace talks, women are more practical and the peace lasts longer. Uh, That is hugely important. I mean, women bring all sorts of things to the table, even when it isn't, you know, the stakes of peace and war. Uh, I think women are, uh, frankly, often, you know, these are gross generalizations, but uh, often better listeners, often more inclusive. And it is important for us to build bridges to all sorts of populations in the countries where we serve, as well as in the United States. And so I, I think that we we bring something that is slightly different from what our male counterparts bring, but it is just as, as, as significant and just as useful. And so we should be represented um, in equal proportions. So are there particular challenges that female diplomats confront? You know, I have to say, I think we do. Uh, you know, I came in at a time when it was not, um, even though I came in sort of the generation after you and Hillary Clinton and um, Secretary Albright. Um, but there were still a lot of barriers, frankly, to progress. And part of the reason that I was able to move ahead, um, even though I tried everything that I possibly could, is that I was able to benefit from a class action lawsuit, uh, where the courts found that the State Department discriminated in the way they wrote the exam against women the way they graded the exam, the way they took women into the Foreign Service, the specialty that they assigned to women, the jobs they gave women, and how they promoted women. So pretty much across the board, (laughs) the State Department was discriminating. I didn't even know about this lawsuit until I, I, of course, joined the Foreign Service. And it was clear from everybody, you know, whether it was in our training courses or bosses around me, that... um, People were very angry about this court case that was moving forward, that the State Department had fought for generations. So finally, in uh, I think it was 1991, it came to a conclusion, and I was one of the 14 women that was offered a remedy as a result of this court case. So I was able to go to Moscow in the political cone, which was my dream job, 
And, um, you know, I did well there and that helped me, you know, move on to various other jobs um, that I also did well in. But because of the, uh, I, I don't know, the environment of women are getting all these breaks, they don't deserve it. And it's at the expense of, you know, us who have been serving, us white men who have been serving for so long. I didn't share the information that I was a beneficiary of a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit, until I wrote this book. I didn't share it with anybody in the Foreign Service because I did not want them to look at me differently. Even though, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later, I had proved myself over and over again. And yet there was still that element of insecurity because, because frankly, it's hard to talk about because it's hard to define in words that feeling that is out there that you don't really deserve a place at the table. And um, so I I guess I'm just saying to our listeners that um, you do deserve a place at the table. Don't let people who are criticizing get you down. And sometimes being good at your job, if not the best at your job, persistence isn't enough. You know, sometimes we need to seek other remedies so that our institutions live up to our ideals. And there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, that is the right thing to do um, so that our institutions do live up to our ideals. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And I think so many of the women listening probably are nodding affirmatively hearing about your story and the way um, you, you felt about what was happening. You know, if I could just say, Milan, we don't talk about this often enough. I mean, a number of women in the Foreign Service have, have told me how grateful, you know, of all levels, you know, whether they were five or six years ahead of me or, you know, <laughs> 20 years behind me, you know, it's out there. We all recognize it, it, but we don't really talk about it very much. And I wanted to, you know, kind of put a pin in it because it was something that uh, I certainly experienced and all of my colleagues, because of course I, I, I shared the book beforehand to make sure, you know, is this, is this right? You know, is this, it was just me or, um, and, um, my colleagues were like, you need to write this, you need to put it out there. And I think that our, you know, the colleagues who have followed in our footsteps are happy we did because it, it makes it easier to talk about and to address. And I think, thankfully, we can say today there is greater recognition that this needs to be fixed in ways uh, large and small, but that there has been considerable progress from the times that you you described when that lawsuit was filed. We have really no time left, but I want to ask you one more question, if I might, which is, you know, given, given all that's going on in our world, and particularly those painful, painful pictures that flash on our screens about the horrible war in Ukraine that Mm-hmm. You must feel more keenly than many, uh, although I think it's difficult for everybody. Mm-hmm. What makes you optimistic? What gives you hope? Well, so there are a couple of things. I think that, you know, I look back at my parents who lived through experiences like this when they were growing up in Europe during World War II, the terrible experiences. And while that is not my lived experience, it's my learned experience. I mean, children, you know, take on all of the, you know, beliefs, uh, at least initially, the beliefs, but also the fears and the concerns and the experiences of their parents. 
And so um, I look at how they were able to turn their lives around. And I think all of us can do the same. I think that optimism and hope um, is really, really important. Um, and I, I came to this um, not just for my parents, but from Colin Powell, who was Secretary of State, and he had these 13 rules. And one of them was optimism is a force multiplier. So if you're presented with a problem set and you go in saying, hmm, it's so hard, it's never going to work, we're never going to be able to do this, you know, the chances are really good. You're not going to be able to do it. But if you go in, even with the toughest problems and say, we can do this, and how are we going to do it? It just creates a completely different environment where, um, where it is possible uh, to, uh, to tackle the problem and make at least some progress. And so sometimes it's a discipline where you have to actively tell yourself, I am going to be hopeful. And so there are two things that actually give me hope today. One is uh, working with students in the United States and actually from other countries as well, uh, who are, you know, full of piss and vinegar and hope and they are going to change the world. You know, that hasn't changed. And, um, you know, since my generation and, um, you know, they are going to change the world, at least in some ways. And then I look at the Ukrainians and, um, you know, they could have given in. They could have said, we can't do this. You know, we're up against Russia, a country, you know, how much larger are the economies, how much larger the powerful Russian military. And they said, no, we are not going to allow this. And I think it's that force of will, that optimism that has enabled not just the Russian, uh, the Ukrainian military, um, but the territorial defense forces and every every Ukrainian grandmother making a Molotov cocktail <laughs> to prevail. And, you know, if that doesn't make you optimistic, I, you know, I don't know what does. Well, what wouldn't? You're exactly right. Thank you for that very inspirational uh, note of optimism as we have to close. But thank you for this wonderful conversation. Now, Ambassador Marie Ivanovich, your service has been stellar. You have been committed to the highest uh, values that our country cherishes, and you have written a riveting book, Lessons from the Edge. Thank you so much. Thank you. What an eye-opening discussion. I learned so much talking with Ambassador Marie Ivanovich. Here are three things I took from that conversation. First, as Americans, we can do so much to help the people of Ukraine. We can donate to reputable charities. We can welcome refugees into our homes and communities. And we can use our voices to tell our national and state representatives to do the right thing for Ukraine and freedom everywhere. Second, Ambassador Yovanovitch shows why it's up to each of us to contribute to society in our own way. She once had a career in advertising and marketing but her love of freedom and democracy made her realize she was in the wrong business. What interested me most was foreign policy, she says. And with a little bit of hubris, how could I make a difference? Finally, she reminds us about the power of positivity. She learned from Colin Powell that optimism is a force multiplier and she draws inspiration from the young students she works with today. They are, she says, 
full of piss and vinegar and hope, and they are going to change the world. Tune in next time to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.